welcome to Project Recovery, a podcast about addiction. More importantly, it's about recovery, and it's brought to you by two guys who are grateful for the ability to do this yes, job. Yes, we are. Right? Definitely. How you doing, man? I'm doing well. You I'm, know. Casey, I'm Casey Scott. That's Dr. Matt yeah, 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 yeah. Just for people who are there. joining us now. Right. I mean, after three years, you know, there's probably people going like, well, maybe we'll give them a shot now. We're kind of going th- on three and a half at this point. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. And, and we've uh, got your re- sobriety date coming up in September. September 3rd, 2018. Memorial right. Day. It'll be four years. You know, and actually I was talking to my kids about that because we often talk about my sobriety date. Do you talk about how long your hair's getting? It's getting long. Do you long. ever talk about that? Yeah. Well, I got a text this morning from my <laughs> You're girlfriend. looking a little bit like, what's uh, what Twisted Sister? What's his name? D. Snyder. D. Snyder. Remember? We're not going to All that long, it. blonde, curly hair? No, so I got a text from my girlfriend this morning. She's like, hey, uh, Tate was, that's her son. Tate was supposed to get his hair cut this Saturday, but he's not going to be able to make it. Do you want his appointment? Yeah. <laughs> Intent? I was, yeah. And I was like, yeah, I'll probably go check yeah, it out. Let the flow grow. Yeah. No, that's what I'm saying. I, th- for As a guy, that's the only real stuff I get to play with. You know what I mean? Is right. an accessory. Yeah. If you're accessorizing beyond that, then yeah. that's a little weird. Although I did just get some new TV glasses and I can't wait to show you them. Okay. They're, they're nice. pretty awesome. But I was talking with my kids about my sobriety date and I say it's September 3rd, 2018. Right. Truth be told, it's probably September 4th because September 3rd, I was pretty wasted. That's true. That you was know, the last I mean, day you used. So the, the fourth last day. is like the, the first is. sober day. Yeah. Yeah. And that was a four, you know, and I don't even know if that counts because I was in detox and they were pumping me full of Ativant and no, it counts. all kinds of stuff. You know what I mean? But I wasn't drinking beer. And I've said this on the podcast before. Uh, once I was in rehab, they were like, well, what did you drink before you went in? I was like, what do you mean? They go, yeah, you're supposed to drink or, or do before you go in. I was like, I didn't know that's a thing. Oh, you mean like get drunk before you go into rehab? Like yeah, one like last when, hurrah? Kind yeah, of like thing? When, when you walk That's in, a bad attitude. It, it's a bad attitude. When you walk into some detox facilities, you will see empty beer cans and bottles out there by the cars. And you know what I mean? People taking that last drink. That, uh, you know, that's desperation, huh? Or, or Yeah. Like, that's not how I wanted no, to I, say, say yeah. goodbye to alcohol. Right. You, you know what I mean? I, I think I did a pretty. Yeah, you got a bang up job. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Pun, Pun intended. intended yeah. yeah. And so September 4th is really the sobriety yeah, day yeah. for me. Right. Um, but um, September 3rd is the day that changed my life forever in a good way, as like we talked about last week on the podcast. Right, yeah. Every once in a while, I'm scrolling around on the internet and Instagram and TikTok and Facebook. When I say all the – okay, all the time I'm on there. You're on there a lot, yeah. But I, I found this this meme, and I actually took a photo shot of it so I would remember to bring it up during the podcast. Thank goodness, yes. Because – Photo shot. Photo shot? Yeah. You mean a screenshot? Yep. That's what I mean. <laughs> okay. That's what I mean. All right, Dad. And uh, this is from an uh, Instagram account called The Sober School. Uh, and there's a lot of sobriety. Oh, I think it, I follow them, too. And they, but So I saw this, and, yeah. they, and it really applied to me. And I was like, I want to talk to Dr. Matt about this. And here's it goes. I used to give alcohol so many different jobs. It had to make me happy, make me less anxious, help me calm down, help me have fun, help me party, and just make everything better. And somehow... It never really worked. But I also used to give alcohol those jobs. Yeah, that's an interesting way to look at it. Actually. You know, and, yeah. and and I was talking to somebody the other day about this, and alcohol was my only coping mechanism. It was the only tool that I had in my bag in case of emergency break and go for that. I mean, it was, I mean, to be 45, and usually that was my only coping mechanism for life. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. For the good, the bad, and the ugly. And yep. it, it, it seemed to be hand in hand. And I used to say beer was riding shotgun in my life. But truth be told, I was riding shotgun and beer was running my life. Right. It's sort of like what you were saying last time. It's that term that you dislike, the functional alcoholic. alcoholic. Yeah, I, I just think I, 
I know people are doing it, and I'm not saying that you can't have a life like that, but to me, it seems like a sad life. I think it is for sure. In fact, it's interesting uh, that we're talking about this again. So we have, I don't know if uh, if we would call certain listeners of our shows like super listeners or mega listeners, mm-hmm. the, the ones that never miss an episode. Right. We have quite a few of those. Um, one of the ones that never misses an episode and always listens when she runs in the morning, her name's Heather. I think I've mentioned some of her comments before. And she wanted me to pass along to you mm-hmm. that she also hates that term functional alcoholic like you were saying last time for the same reasons you're saying it's sad it's not it's not really functional it's like the way you just described that is if your only coping mechanism is in a bottle uh or in a pipe or one of those sorts of things are you really functional like the the alcohol can't do all those jobs that the meme just pointed out you need to be learning how to do all those jobs and we need to have healthy – I don't even really like the idea of coping mechanisms. I, I know that the Band-Aids are important in life. Yeah. Okay? Um, one of the things that I do get a little uh, irritable about is people will meet me and they'll say, oh, so what do you do? You teach people coping mechanisms, coping skills. And I always feel like, well, maybe as much as nurses hand out Band-Aids, like, like I do a lot more than that, I hope. I hope real therapy, real recovery – means that we're making real changes. So being a functional alcoholic implies you're not you're an alcoholic and you're barely functioning like and, and you're not changing, you're not improving. And then coping skills sort of implies that we're just trying to get by as well. So we're we want to make real change and that's I think the distinction between sobriety and recovery. Sobriety might be a coping skill like I'm staying sober and hats off to people that can stay sober, but there's more. Right. Like you, there's so much more than just being sober. There is living a life in recovery. What do you think about it? A nurse puts a bandaid on it. Why does it put the bandaid on it? Because one, to stop the bleeding. And then they're going to do an internal check and then they're going to do a whole body check and try to figure out how that happened. Right. So yeah, we've got to stop the bleeding. And if, if that's what we're doing at first, so I get that. It's a first line treatment. Yeah. Right? But then we want to go, what else is there? Yeah. Like I, 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 and I say this all the time and I hope people don't ever get tired of it. I remember sitting down in my therapist's office and he goes, do you want me to blow your mind? And I was like, yeah, man, I'm in rehab. Blow my mind. He goes, <laughs> Drinking's not your problem. And I'm like, what? Pretty sure drinking's my problem, but that's why I'm in rehab. He goes, no, your problems are your problems. And drinking has been your solution. He goes, now drinking has become a problem because your body's addicted to it, but your problems are your problems. And we've got to figure out what those are and how to help those, or you're going to fall back into your same routine. And you weren't treating your problems because you were putting it all on alcohol to do it. Yeah. And so the alcohol becomes its own problem. Yeah. Became a band aid. No, I, I think that's but, but, and then it, very insightful. And eventually it couldn't hold it back. And yeah. it was horrible. And it became its own issue. So, I, once again, I really love this. And you know what I love? And that I've noticed even more and more after each year we've done this podcast is when I'm out and about and people come up and talk about recovery, talk about the things they're doing. Three years ago, people weren't as willing to talk about recovery as they are today. And maybe it's just because my circle's gotten bigger, but I feel like a lot of people are celebrating recovery and living out loud. I would say it, culturally, here in the state of Utah and around the nation, it's really weird. Just in the last five years, there has been this positive explosion of conversation uh, people, places, uh, everything on the internet that's embracing and supporting recovery. So the conversation is much more natural and easy now. And I really do think if you look back on just the number of recovery centers, the number of types of programs, the number of um, 
media outlets like this podcast and television shows, in the last five years, it's just been exponential growth. And I think that's because people are finally tired of hiding it. And they, the people like we have on our show and you and others who are living this beautiful life in recovery, you, you just want to share that. Like anytime you have something great, you want to share it. Now there's so many outlets. So I'm grateful to be part of it because you're right. Five years ago, 10 years ago, I mean, back when we were in college, nobody ever wanted to talk about it. I remember, and I don't know if I've ever talked about this on the podcast, is I used to get drunk and watch the TV show Interventionist. I know. It's awesome. <laughs> and, and so, I mean, that, that just, I could like, chew on would, that all day. I would day. watch it, and, and, and in my head, I was like, so I'm preparing myself for in case this ever happens. You know what I mean? Like, I was doing homework, you know what I mean? Just like, in case. Yeah, just in case. Like, But, like, in my messed up mind, that's really kind of what I was doing. I was like, so they're going to say this. And I'm going to say this, and they're going to come at me. Get all ready this. for the test. Yeah, they're going to come at me with this information and be like, "Okay, I've seen the movie. I know what you guys are trying to do. Yeah, you know, don't put a mic on me and make me go to some weird hotel and stand in a lobby because I know what's coming, and yeah. I'm not going to. I'm not going to do this because <laughs> I don't have a problem. You know, but I mean, but even back then, I used to watch it, and it was more yeah. of like I watched it because it was a train wreck. But the weird thing is, yeah. is I love to watch the beginning. Because I like to see who these people really were because they give you a good – and it's kind of how we do the show. You know, what the early life was like and before right, their the addiction. background, yeah. And then I would fast forward it during the middle because it was so messy and train wrecky and made me feel so icky. And I just hurted so much for the it was family. a little too real maybe? Yeah. Yeah. And then I always fast forward it to the end I'll to see how to they the were doing. Ending, if it and then I remember I'd wait. And it, and, and it always made me mad because they would check the people into rehab – and then they would roll the credits. And then at the end of the credits, their thing would pop up and say, John Smith's been sober for 13 days or, you know, or, or relapsed after 90 days, yeah, you know, and the follow up there. The follow up was just horrible. You yeah, know what I mean? Yeah. And so I always felt like they exploited that middle part, uh, the train wreck and the life dissolving. And I all think that. that you're right. That's that was kind of the market that they, people wanted to tune in and see that. Um, yeah. And so I, that's why I want this podcast to celebrate more about the recovery and right. less about the train wreck. Now, I think the train wreck is important because I like to let people know that as bad as your life has gotten, uh, you, you, it can get better. Well, I do think there's some value in that. Like it's, it is good to see that, yeah, like, like the contrast between the low lows. And we've had some people share some pretty low lows on our show. Stuff where we've looked at each other and was like, Oh yeah, stuff we because I think listeners of the show understand we a lot of what we talk about is fresh news to us, right? Well, like we want it to just be a new conversation, yeah. So we don't know the the background, uh, so that contrast can be helpful if a person's in a state of mind where they're like, I can't do it, my my story's too bad, and they hear someone else's story and they're like, maybe I can do it. Well, I remember being in recovery and sitting in the process group with 15 other people and somebody holding on to this secret and, you know, this thing that they've been carrying around for years that they feel like just makes them a horrible person. Mm -hmm. And finally watching them get it off their chest and process this in a group and then have them realize, oh, yeah. Wasn't yeah. as bad as I thought it was. That, that, and it doesn't, maybe I'm not a horrible person. Right. Maybe other people have done similar things, but when you're an addict deep in your addiction, you isolate yourself and you close off the rest of the world and you think, 
just these horrible thoughts about yourself and and you start to believe Which them contributes to use right yeah because it does you feel bad and so you use more yeah i mean how many times do we have people on this podcast who have said uh well this is just going to be me so i'm going to be the best drug addict i can be oh tons. and you know what yeah. and i'm going to just do it better than anyone has ever done it uh i had a new patient recently and a very bright person graduated from a very prestigious university not too long ago and he basically said the same thing he said when i was off to college and had a hard time making friends and a hard time meeting girls i figured if i could party harder than anyone else then everyone would like me and that that was his downfall that was that was that addict mentality of Mm -hmm. like if i can just be the best at this then everything else will fall into place of course everything else fell apart Right. And that's usually how it goes. And that's what makes addicts so wonderful uh, in the world of business as well as the world of addiction. It's that all in mentality. We've had so many entrepreneurial uh, people in recovery because and they're very successful because, yeah, that personality trait. Personality traits are kind of funny because they can be used for your benefit or your detriment. Right. Yeah. And when when the addiction's involved and you're an all or nothing person, watch out. But if you're living a life of recovery and you're an all or nothing person, watch out because good stuff's going to happen. Remember the guest we had on who streamlined the gang business? <laughs> yeah. yeah. She was like the gang mental, uh, accountant, right? She came yeah. in. She's like, let me tell you what you're doing wrong. <laughs> yeah. You know, it was like, whoa, she started working for multiple up. gangs. Yeah. She, uh, I don't know how you get away with that. I guess she didn't. But well, yeah, I mean, that kind of entrepreneurial, you know, thinking. Yeah. yeah just applied maybe in the wrong way. Well, our guest today's name is Bri- uh, Ryan Brown. And uh, I was going to say Brene Brown, but you credit her to some of your uh, recovery. Yeah, I'm. Uh, I'm. A, she's my hero. You love her. I love her. And we're going to find out more about Ryan Brown's story in just a second. You're listening to Project Recovery. Hey, welcome back to Project Recovery. I'm Casey Scott. That's Dr. Matt Woolley. Our guest today is Ryan Brown. Now, I met Ryan Brown what right out of rehab? Yeah, like a year ago. You were out of rehab. Or I was out of rehab. No, I was. And I just barely got out of rehab. Yeah, it was, I mean, it, my sobriety day is March 8th. So it was a year and a couple months. He came up with me to the Maverick and he thought I was still on TV. Didn't know that I was fresh out of recovery. <laughs> we started talking. Yeah. Uh, he told me he was. I said, I'd like to get you on the show. He said, no, no, I don't want to <laughs> do that. I don't want to be on your show. Right. And I was like, well, when you're ready, I'd love to have you on. Uh, so I reached out to him and I said, are you ready? And you said? I said, of course. All right. So yeah. where does the story of Ryan Brown begin? Um, Ryan Brown began in Farmington, Utah. Um, we, I grew up LDS, a good family. Um, nothing wrong with my childhood. I remember when I first went to counseling and this therapist was headstrong on, no, we got to find that childhood trauma. trauma. Right. And I was like, but there's none. There's literally none. Yeah. Like my dad got mad at me once really loudly, you know, or <laughs> like my mom. Got but, you know what that, that, but, that, but I think that needs some attention because there's a lot of people who have fallen into addiction, not because of trauma, right. uh, because of other reasons. And yeah. sometimes everybody wants to blame it on trauma. What happened to you as a yeah. kid? Yeah. What, you know, was your dad not there? Was your mom not some, there? Some therapists, unfortunately, have a real bias towards that because of their training. Mm-hmm. And I'll remind the listeners that not all thera- being a therapist is not a degree. Um, you know, lots of different people with different training backgrounds can become therapists. And so 
Um, a lot of therapists have that bent that you must have some trauma in your background. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, many people do. No, I and not However, that, yeah. uh, there's a lot of things that happen post-childhood that can cause anxiety, depression, or cause a person to fall into substance abuse. So it sounds like you had sort of an idyllic yeah, childhood. Really, you have a big family. Uh, one brother, one sister. I was the oldest. Um, a lot of people talk about being the oldest and having to be the perfectionist. Like you, you, you are counted on to be, you know, the example, mm-hmm. right? And, and what, for the most what, part, I was. What What decade did you grow up in? Because um, I graduated in ninety seven. Ninety seven from so, Beaumont. So, so you you were a kid through the eighties and nineties. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I I bring that up because for, for anybody who's not familiar with the geography of Utah, Farmington, as it sounds, was pretty small town back then you know north of salt lake it's it's much more commercial now than it used to be Mm -hmm. but it kind of makes sense that you were you were not only growing up with a nice you know stable supportive family but probably in a nice stable supportive community for sure yeah 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 i mean and that's the truth not that there weren't problems back in those days but farmington was kind of a small town yeah and and i think you've had a couple of guests on here from the farmington Oh, yeah. We've had a couple from Farmington, from Ogden, (laughs) from Salt Lake, from Provo, from Morgan. I mean, that's the thing is addiction doesn't discriminate. And a lot of people think that because... Big city, small town, doesn't matter. It doesn't. And so you said you grew up pretty good, but as the oldest child, you had this kind of perfectionist uh, attitude? Uh, I always did. I always always had that. I I have to be the best. And my love was basketball. So I wanted to do everything I could to be on the basketball team, you know? And, And in junior high, I didn't make the basketball team. And it was devastating. You know, because I'd put all I I don't know how I compare myself, but like I I thought I was going to make the basketball team and I didn't. And I it, think Michael Jordan got cut one year too. <laughs> so don't feel bad. Don't feel bad. Yeah, I mean, so it was it was one of those things where you know I I I had setbacks in life. I always got really good grades. Like I was three point nine three all through high school, and you know it does like Casey. Yeah, yeah, that's what I heard. No, you didn't. No, I didn't. <laughs> But good grades, you get, you get, you don't. What make was the that t- like missing? The, sorry, Casey. What was that like not making the basketball team though? I, it, it wasn't a trauma, but what was that like for a kid? Oh, it's, it's well, it's it's when that's your whole focus, right? That you don't have work to 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 do. You, you're out there shooting hoops like twenty four seven. Yeah, right? just yeah. shooting, shooting, that shooting. Was your purpose? Yeah, that's the only thing that I. I mean, grades were always there. But like the thing that I wanted to prove myself with was basketball because girls go to basketball games like you're a popular kid, you know. Hey, it's good to be on the basketball team. Yeah, it's been a recipe for success for men for a lot of years. (laughs) Yes, I believe so. Yeah. So, you know, that's what I wanted to do. And so when I didn't make it in junior high, I was like, man, I got to work harder. I I do remember thinking that. But see, that's a unique outtake on that because that's a resilient attitude because a lot of people are like well i'm not doing this then and then they're gonna go find something else quit and give up yeah but you said you got to work harder yeah that and that's kind of my mo throughout addiction too like oh i gotta just do it better do it harder again you can see how certain traits can work for you or against you (laughs) right yeah so you worked harder yeah did you make the team made the team in high school yeah so that's impressive actually you know Uh, and, and and it wasn't like you know, I, I remember I was in the, the, the band at the time because I played drums and I didn't want to excel at drums. I, I just was like something else to do, you know, some other hobby. And when I made the basketball team, it was over the PA and at Viewmont and I just jumped up screaming and like, yeah, I finally did so it. Excited. I'm here, you yeah. know. 
And then, you know, I, I rode the bench a lot and I was on the sophomore team, barely played. And, but just to be on the team, just to be on the team. Well, that bounce back, anybody who's familiar with high school athletics, especially nowadays, if you're not in that crowd that makes the team in the junior high years, it's pretty unlikely you're going to be in the crowd that makes the team uh, in your high school years. And basketball to your credit, is one of the harder ones to make the high school team on because they have so few players. Yeah. It's not like a football team where yeah. you've got like, you know, 40 people on the team, mm-hmm. right? And so that's, I think basketball is one of the hardest uh, sports to, to make the team. Yeah, I wasn't very good at math, apparently. When you, do, <laughs> when you do the math on it, you're like, oh, that's a lot of people trying out. That's a lot, you yeah, know. for a few spots. Yeah, for a couple spots. So you made the high school basketball team. At any point in your high school career, did you try alcohol did you try drugs no i like i had like one sip like i i actually had some friends that that had problems with addiction um had problems with alcohol and drugs but i was always the designated driver i that's that was my role you know and again so you had friends that partied but yeah you didn't party. and i and i and i would go to to parties and be like hey let me get you home you know let me be that guy and okay. and so and i was comfortable with it i was i didn't particularly like the taste of alcohol the the time I tried it and it was just like not for me you know and then it was through high school um I had I did have a friend um kill himself um after a a relapse after rehab so in Um, high school while he was still in high school yeah um and so that really affected me that that actually um was something that was was hard for me to understand because it we we had talked about going on a mission together. We had we'd worked out um, together. Uh, we were pushing weights every day, trying to be bigger, faster, stronger. And I went to a volleyball uh, competition in Colorado, and I got a call from his parents, oh, and oh. it was it was rough. What was his drug of choice? What was he using? I it was a lot. It was it was anything that he could get his hands on to. But we um, call that poly substance. Yeah, I mean marijuana was a big one. Mm-hmm. Um, alcoholic, um, just anything that you could get high off of basically that changes that changes you as a young person doesn't it yeah I, somebody, you could see it in yeah. him you know and then when when he went to rehab and then came home and um and then had a you know a relapse like that's that's the last thing that then it's like i'm i'm a failure you yeah. know and i could see that in him how do you think it changed you having a friend commit suicide i didn't want anything to do with it like i remember going to the funeral and in my head thinking all those guys that are here celebrating Tori's, you know, being here for Tori, celebrating his life, they need to get their act together. I remember thinking that like, because like they shaming them in my head, yeah. you know? Yeah. And so you blamed the substances for, for his, his death. Yeah. Yeah. And, and a little bit of the enablers. Yeah. The enablers. And again, didn't know much about addiction or anything at that point. So, so, I mean, that is a traumatic event, you know. Yeah, for sure. But it seems like it was a warning sign for you to stay away, which it seemed like you inevitably did. It worked for a long time. Like, I I used his his passing as, like, don't touch the stuff. Do not touch it. So you end up graduating high school. Mm-hmm. Uh, move on to... When I, I went to USU for a semester. Again, I was, I was the designated driver. I was even in the Sigma Chi... Russian Sigma Chi and and I was the dude that people could call up at three in the morning saying, "Hey, I'm at the White Owl. Come and get me." 
You yeah. know, I'm a Sigma Chi from Utah State. Really? Yeah. 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 Probably I, helped you a couple of times. I don't probably. Know. <laughs> probably. And, uh, you know, but... It's a small world. So you're up there and you're designated driving for everybody yeah, there. Yeah, I mean, you know, Case, like uh, the White Owl was the The spot, hot spot. The, the only spot, a big dog really. and a burger. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. And so I... And then I was willing to do that because I, I had a friend that passed. You know, I, I was like, I, I can be that person. I can help somebody that might you know, need help. So that stayed with you and started to form, sounds like a little bit of your identity. Like I'm, yeah. I'm a guy who doesn't do that. And in fact, I'm a guy who's going to help the guys who do it. Yeah. But it didn't seem like you were judging anybody for their choices. No, I, I mean a little bit in my head, you know, a little bit like, like, oh, they, they could be doing better. They could be doing better with their lives. Like that's a talented person. You shouldn't be doing that. Mm-hmm. You know, they should use that energy towards good. Well, on the surface, that, that there's some truth in that, right? Like it's honest. Um, that was, right. I wasn't expecting that honest answer. You yeah, know that's, what a, mean? that's a very I honest. Be like, yeah, no, I don't judge him. He's like, no, I was a little in my head. You know? <laughs> no, but I was like, whoa, I, I like that, Ryan. I yeah. like the fact that you're honest because that is what we think, and yeah. there is an element of truth in that. Like if you see a talented friend who's kind of getting drunk and using drugs all the time and diminishing their talent. There's some element of truth in that. But I think then, like you and like me growing up and most people, if you don't have an education about uh, addiction and how it works and, and and substance abuse and all of that, then that's kind of where our understanding of the person stops. Yeah, right? and I think and so part- we stay kind of judgmental instead of if we really understand the whole thing, it's it, it's more complex, but it helps us not be judgmental. Yeah, I think yeah. you're right. And, and, I, and I always thought of it as a moral failure. Like they're choosing to do this. Right. And that's right? how most of us, I don't know. I, I don't mind admitting that's how I grew up like, thinking about it. Yeah. And so for me, like, and including when I was in my addiction, like pe- people would be like, just, you know, you've got kids, man. Like figure it out. Like it's just stop. Yeah. Just stop. And, and, and at that point in, in college before I went on a mission, it was just like, Hey man, like you ever think about just not doing that? Oh, <laughs> I'm in college. I'm 21 years old, 19, 18, whatever. You know, this is what I want to do. This is this is this is the time to do it, bro. Yeah. And 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 you know, a lot of a lot of college students would say that this is the time to do it. You just don't know if you're going to be getting bit with the For addiction sure. bug. For sure. So you, you're up at USU. You had decide to go on a mission. Yeah, I went to Hong Kong on a mission. Served a two year mission. Loved it. Um, I was a su- successful missionary. So I I loved every bit of it. You know and um. I, I came home and that um, sort of fits your personality though, like service oriented, right? Like you wanted to be the designated driver. You like to help yeah, others. I, this time you're driving people yeah, to God. Yeah. The, <laughs> the, that I think part of it is wanting the, to be the best at whatever that is, yeah. you know? And like you were saying earlier, yeah. whatever that, if I'm, if I'm already in it, I'm all in, I'm all in. Yeah. yeah. Right. So I'm, I'm thousands of miles away from home. I might as well make the best of it. And that's what I did. You know? And you came back and uh, successful missionary. Successful missionary. Uh, broke up with my longtime girlfriend and and uh, after the mission. Yeah. Well, she kind of broke up with me. It wasn't really my choice. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. There you go. Okay. I, I get that. You know. Again, so, an honest answer. We appreciate yeah, it. Yeah. Well, she actually broke up with me. I didn't have a choice. I, I mean, I thought that I was coming home to a girlfriend. Let's put it that way. But you came home and uh, where'd you go to school? I went to the, directly to the U mm-hmm. and then I was working uh, for a billing company and then um, going to school full time. 
So I was, I was preoccupying my day with as much in a day as possible. Um, met Sarah and we, we clicked really early and we got married within six months. And, you know, we, we just had, we had four kids um, within short times. We wanted to be perfect parents as well. Like <laughs> perfection is the underlying theme here. Like just right. checking the box and doing everything that we're supposed to. And, and then, you know, everything you thought you were supposed to. Exactly. I mean, because that's the thing that sometimes gets us in trouble is I'm doing what I'm supposed to. Well, says who? We call them shoulds. Yeah. Shoulds. You know, we grow up a lot with these things that we're taught. Milestones. And, and we think, well, we should do this. We should not do that. And, uh, the world's not cutting. Most things are not that way. And most people don't really own their own shoulds. Yeah. So we adopt shoulds from things that we're taught. And that can feel burdensome later on in life when you feel like I have to do all these things, but I don't know if I really want to do them. Yeah. Right. And if I haven't done them by this time, am I a failure? Yep. There's that. I should have done this by a certain date or a certain time. Yeah. That would, that, I mean, coming off a mission. Yeah. yeah well, you get that talk. So too. people that are, <laughs> not, fam- <laughs> that sure. are not familiar with the, LDS Mormon culture is that that's there's there's some shoulds there you when you're 19 back in the day now it's 18 you should go on a mission and and do that for a couple of years and when you get home you should find a, a person to marry and then you should start having as many kids as you can have mm-hmm. uh, at an you know right away yep. and so you were doing all that yep checking the boxes man four kids and how long uh, 2002 and then my youngest is 10 so um. Yeah, I mean, eleven. Yeah, so, yeah. we pretty succinct, right? Yeah, we're pretty. You were Planned busy. Parenthood. You were busy. Yeah. yeah, yeah. He had a plan. Had a goal. Yeah. So, um, yeah. Th- so then, what what happened was, I I started a, a company. Um, I started this business called Ideal Practice, where I'd help um, medical uh, providers get in network with insurances, and it was and it was going really well. Um, and at first, it wasn't no. no small business goes really well at the start, but it was going really well. And I was, I was doing well and if it's going a small business. Yeah, exactly. If it's going, it was doing going to the right. next step. Um, and then it, you know, we, we bought a house and moved in and, um, got our own house. I mean, that was a big deal. That was another should that's Absolutely, a should. Yeah. Right. And then, um, got a, a position in the church as, as a young men's advisor mm-hmm. and we went, uh, snowboarding, Night snowboarding. I was the fun one, also. Oh, Casey. I can it's, see that. Yeah, it, like young men, like being in charge of the youth program. Yeah, the youth program yep. at at sixteen, seventeen, eighteen. That was my jam, right? So let's, let's go let's skiing. Go, let's, let's go, go cliff jumping. Yeah, let's, let's go. do that stuff. Zion's, you know, all the fun stuff, right? So we went night skiing one night, and I was I was showing off, and I um I used to be really good at snowboarding, and um I I was on a rail that iced over it at Brighton and my board came out from underneath me and I broke my back. Ooh. Just smashed my back. Like, like you landed you, you on the rail. you seen those like Star Wars when they, they burst a star? That was like my bones on an x-ray. Uh, it was like fragments everywhere. Oh my gosh. So, um, you know, I actually went because I didn't want to give up. <laughs> I actually finished that night scheme. Oh, oh my gosh. gosh. I'm dead serious. <laughs> You're a warrior. Yeah. And then uh, the next day could not walk. Could not even get up out of bed. I was oh. in so much pain. And again, being with doctors um, as clients and, and, and I, most of my clients are my friends. Like I just talk to them like they're just my friend. And 
I remember going to a uh, this drug rep had you know they they would do these lunches and stuff. Yeah, remember going to this lunch and it's fully catered. It's like they don't they're, they're not allowed to do that as much nowadays. Yeah, but I remember being in graduate school and if there was a, you'd hear you'd hear like oh there's a drug rep lunch. We didn't drug care what lunch. it was about because yeah. they would have really good food, hot food, lots of giveaways, pens and. Soccer balls and bunch hats of dudes at an estrogen pill party. Huh? Exactly, <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're here, man. Yeah. yeah. So those, those were those were fun events back in the day. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I went to one of those, and I think like Ruth Chris or something was, yeah, was on the menu. Like it was top, always top, top notch. Yeah. And it was the OxyContin rep, and from Purdue, and he he came in, and he was talking to my doctor, my client, and also my friend, and saying, "Hey, this is for pain management. This is like." Given your your patient's Tylenol, it's got the effects of like a lure tab, but it doesn't. It's non addictive. Oh, this is the rep. I literally heard that. I they, heard. Well, it. they used to say that. Right? And 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 that's so one percent addictive. When people see like dope sick and other and go, ah, oh, that couldn't have been like that. It was. I saw it myself. You know. Yeah. And so I remember walking out of that and my doc, doctor friend saying, "That's what we should get you on. Like that would help your back a ton." You know, because I still had to move and I, I wasn't giving myself enough rest because I, I had a business. I had family to sure, provide life. for. And if you ever break it back, man, it's it does not like to heal because you're always moving it. It's not like yeah. when you cast an arm and, you know, you can isolate it and let it grow and, and come uh, back. Once a person has a serious back issue, it's kind of hard to not always feel like you have a back issue. Yeah. And, and it's, it, I just remember the first prescription that I got was... Like I am out of pain I, and <laughs> I am not only out of pain, but I'm feeling really, really good. Like it was immediate, like the, the, this overwhelming euphoria, this overwhelming sense of, of just bliss, like peace. But prior to that, had you had any like anxiety or anxiousness, anxiousness in your marriage? I mean, other than that, I mean, if, if people would have asked you before the back break, Hey, Ryan, how's life going? What would you have said? Oh, it's going ex- exceptionally well, no matter what. Yeah. Like, I, you know, Brian's two thumbs up. Yeah. That was me. But but were you feeling the two thumbs up in, in no. your life? No, you weren't. No, I mean, it, it, we we don't talk about, like, the bad days, right? Like, if if somebody, if a clerk at Maverick says, how are you doing today? You're like, great, good. man, you? Yeah. Because I got to get out of here. But right. you're always blown away when they were like, not good. No, I like, well, I'm feeling a little melancholy. You know? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> if they use that word, I'll, I'll be blown away. Yeah. But it, it's, it, it was always just like going to the next thing. I, I didn't really get to connect, you know, and it was this perfectionism of like, don't let people see you other than having a good day. I would say just, I'll give you my, my profile of you, Ryan, is one of those very optimistic, forward thinking, uh, lots of energy, uh, outgoing personalities with that perfectionistic. So when you hit roadblocks, you kind of like to just blow past them. Right. Right. It wasn't sit and dwell on it, talk about it. It's like, okay, m- moving on, moving on, moving on. Yeah. Which, of course, is part of the recipe to a lot of people's big time success in life, especially in business. But you're a young guy, you have little children, you have a new marriage and a new business. So I can also say, there's a ton of stress heaped in there. And I would imagine that because you didn't have the background to know how to give yourself relief from that, 
you just go, 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 accomplish, accomplish, accomplish. That was your coping mechanism. Then when this Oxycontin came along, boom. And I love the fact that you said, you mentioned the pain relief a little bit. Mostly you used words like euphoria, Uh right? Because it was, that's the thing about that drug is the emotional change that a person has. The release. It's like you probably didn't even know that's possible. Oh, I had no, I I mean, you know, you'd hear about people getting high and stuff and I'd see my friends and they're feeling good, but feeling great, like exceptionally well, like this new level of life. And, Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden, things that I cared about went went away. Like I, I didn't care about what work email I had to do or what you know all these stresses I had to make sure that money was was coming in and and expenses were going out. Like it, it was none of that mattered, right? And to me, it was like I've I've got a solution. You talk about um, alcohol being your one tool, and for me, I I feel like I didn't have any tools until I found Oxycontin. Then it was my one tool, mm. right? And then and then that became so bad that I, I wasn't, you know, you're chasing the high, right? I got to the point where... Wait, I'm going to stop you okay. right there because you're listening to Project Recovery. You just heard Ryan talk about the first time he took an Oxycontin pill. We're going to find out where that goes. You're listening to Project Recovery. Welcome back to Project Recovery. I'm Casey Scott. That's Dr. Matt Woolley. Our guest today is Ryan Brown. He just described the first time he took an Oxycontin pill for a broken back. And the word he used was euphoric. And it wasn't pain relief. You said it a little bit, but you were really kind of focused on the euphoric feeling that it gave you. Yeah. And then you said you were about to go into how it got out of control. How does one pill lead to a mess? Well, you you start... I mean, you're chasing the high, right? Everybody knows what I'm talking about when we're, we're chasing a high. Like you know we what, felt that what, one time. What's crazy is though, I don't think everybody knows okay. about chasing the high. And, it, and it's kind of what's really, well, there's a lot of things wrong with the addiction world. But when you chase the high, that means you need to take more drugs to get the same effect. Mm-hmm. And so you start to build up a tolerance in your body. So to get that same high where three beers used to do it for me, it had to become six. And then six yeah. would become 12. That that experience you had that first time you took the pill, at least physiologically, you never had that same experience twice. Never. Because that, that particular drug is so powerful that your brain immediately maps it and, and wants more of it. And so even if it's just a little by little, you need more and more to try to get there. And so chasing is, is actually the key word in that phrase. You're always behind. Yeah. I was always behind. And- the, the thing that your brain does, and I and I remember this, and this is complete honesty, I remember thinking my back hurts worse. like mm-hmm. And, and, it, and it, I don't know if it did or not. Like, I, I really don't know. I, maybe uh, maybe the, the Oxycontin was masking it, so I was doing more stuff and it was hurting worse. But I, I, I do remember going back to the doctor and saying, hey, man, this, this isn't cutting it. Well, it was for a time, and then it – you know, you get up and up and up and up. And, and finally he came to me and he said, dude, my DEA is on the line for you. And I'm like, whoa. Cause that, that was something that just hit me. Like, what are you talking about? You know, like the so DEA. The, yeah. The like, problem is you were like all of us trusting. 
Yeah. And and the doctor was even trusting and the, this drug rep was trusting that the information he was given was correct. And he's out like towing, towing the company line saying what he was told to say. And all of it was lies. Yeah. Right. All of it was lies. And it trickles down to the, the person who's using the medication. And then you do come back confused like, well, this was supposed to do this for me, but now I feel this way. And I'm asking for more or better, and you're telling me I'm doing something wrong. Yeah, and, and that that's where I was like, what what are we talking about? We're talking about the same drug that, you know, we had the Purdue guy there and da-da-da-da-da. Bruce Chris, don't yeah, you guys remember? Yeah, we were all there. Yeah. <laughs> we were all there. <laughs> and a juicy steak. And yeah. now you're talking about the DEA, mm-hmm. like sh- about ready to shut you down because of me? Oh, man, that that like hit me hard because then it was just like, oh, I do have a problem. Right. Is that the first inclination that you had a problem? Yeah. Yeah. It's Which funny is- because I, I actually had passed out a couple of times and would have seizures and, and not wake up and stuff like that. Uh, yeah. And you would <laughs> think seizure that seizure didn't wake yeah, up. Yeah. Just, just stuff like that. You're, you're like, well, you know, that's not normal stuff, right? <laughs> well, at the time, I thought it was just like something else, yeah. you know, dehydrated or, yeah. you know, you know, sleep well, deprived. The brain will trick you and manipulate sure. you to think different things because what it doesn't want to admit is that you've got, got a problem. Because then you've got to take away that tool. Yep. Right. And I don't want anybody taking away the tool. But when my I started doing this whole wow, I this is a client that is a friend. I don't want anything to happen. Like if I hurt myself, that's one thing. But if I'm hurting other people, right. especially a license, like I don't want anything to do with that. So I I he gave me a new prescription. He said, Hey, this is kind of like is you're maxed out right here. So I, I went to Lake Powell with my family, with extended family, and was and that could not get out of my brain. Could not. And this I was took your it, last. I took a full bottle of Oxycontin and I threw it in Lake Powell. And I remember thinking, what have I done? I had no idea what detox was. I didn't know anything other than there it goes. Right? And then I'm thinking, well, maybe it will float. And then it just, you know. <laughs> You're hoping. <laughs> I love that. The immediate regret of yeah, throwing right. that off the boat. Oh, I think it will float. Didn't ever come up, right? <laughs> Down in so Lake now Powell's you're away. detoxing in Lake Powell with extended family. Well, that's yeah. cold. You forced cold turkey on yourself. Right? Forced it, yeah. yeah. And I and and I didn't know what the because I always had a ample supply, so I didn't actually know what detox felt like mm-hmm. or withdrawals. Yeah, like withdrawals, just the worst skin crawling, the so worst. At, yeah. Up to this point, uh, did uh, your beautiful wife, Sarah, have any idea that you were abusing these or using these? Or well, She thought, I mean, to be quite honest and fair, she she thought it was just the doctor giving it to me. And I was just Which using was. it as prescribed. Yeah. Every once in a while I would cheat. But for the most part, I was actually using it as prescribed um, because... Again, I knew that if I ran out of them, I was in trouble, right? So for the most part, there was a few times that, that I was like, ah, it's, it's been a long day, you know, take, take an, an extra, extra one. But to be fair, uh, the prescription regimen back then was much different than it is now. Yeah, so sure. they thought because of the misinformation that was being spread about the drug that you could prescribe a lot more. So so by today's standards, I would dare guess you were overprescribed, even though at the time you were taking it as prescribed. Correct. Yeah. Let me ask, how many pills a day do you think you were using at your height? Uh, well, it, was, it, it became like the max uh, milligrams, like whatever that was. I think it was 60 or 80. So um, I think it's 80. 80. And it was 80, 
and it was like six times a day, you know? Oh my goodness. And yeah. So, see, nowadays we would look at that and go, oh wow, that's abuse. Yeah. That's, that's abuse. way too much. Yeah. And, and that's what would cause, you know, <laughs> the seizures, the seizures and the passing out and the not waking up and, you know, so walk me through the detox, the withdrawals that you went through on the beautiful shores of oh, Lake Powell. Uh, Lake Powell is not a certified, uh, detox center right i didn't even know what detox was i didn't even know that there was a a place that you could go to like help you down from death (laughs) like because we've had people on the podcast who said they feared withdrawals they welcomed death i mean that's that statement right there blows your mind it was like hey look bring on death because i welcome death i want death i do not want to withdraw yeah and and i and i was like okay well at least i'm in lake power when i get hot i'll jump in the lake and when I'm cold, I'll go in the, on the boat, you know, like I, I tr- would try to r- regulate my temperature and that's that awful uh, skin crawling that just like sick feeling and, you know, your stomach is just in knots and death. Like it, it was honestly, I thought death was a better answer. So at some point, did you have to come clean with the family? Yeah. And so I, I told Sarah what I what I'd done and she was like, OK, you know, we're kind of away from everything and and again nobody knew really how to help me other than just like keep me as comfortable as possible with Gatorade and otter water pops. otter pops and just try to you know keep me hydrated basically yeah. um so that my body could just expel it so after that happened after that week and that week was hell i didn't want anything to do with it like i i would have surgeries and toothaches and all that kind of stuff and they'd be like oh here's some lortab no thank you like i don't want any of that because I had had such an amazingly bad experience. <laughs> with, <laughs> with, nice save. Yeah, with the the the, de- the, the personal detox. Yeah, you know, that it was to this day. It's freshly like right in my memory. Like we call that one trial learning. Yeah, when something is so, so miserable bad. that it makes a lasting impression. But I don't think that's why you're here on the podcast, because it sounds like you went back out again. Well, so what happened was I, I got myself clean, right? And then yeah. I'm like, I'm just never touching that stuff. And then I went a period of about five years where I was like completely sober. And I'm like, ooh, that was a near miss, right? And then I got um, I, I got enough time where I got some of that ego back and some and, and some of the stressors that came into my life. And I remember going to the liquor store to buy um, sake for a, a Japanese um, recipe. And I was like, I wonder what that tastes like. Like years later, like this is like at 36 years old or 37 years old or whatever. Going to the liquor store for- So you normally reason- didn't, you weren't drinking at Mm-mm. the time. You just happened to be making a recipe that called for sake. Yeah, and, so and you cook it out, in right? In the state of Utah, you have to go to the liquor store for that. And so you went there and, and all of a sudden had the voice. I wonder what that tastes like. Yeah, I wonder what that tastes like. So I drank it, the whole bottle- <laughs> all or Casey's nothing. like looking at all me like, are you sure? Well, <laughs> look, I'm an alcoholic, so I know little things about alcohol. Like, sake's not an introduction alcohol. You <laughs> no, know no, I mean? That's I, not something I, that people start with. And this is how you know how honest this is, is because I had no idea. Yeah. Right? right. I, th- I had no idea. So I, the sake was just like, the feeling came rushing back, and it felt a lot like that euphoria that I remembered from the Oxycontin. Yeah. And it, and it was like, oh, Hello, old friend. Yeah. You know? And I and then I then it was just like a it was it it was it was so fast to the races with that. It was like I had no idea how to calibrate it. I had no idea what one beer versus one pint versus you know, uh, a liter of vodka or no idea. 
I'm but just you were drinking to the races. I'm just drinking to to get out of me, right? Yeah. And then it became again kind of chasing the high and all and waking up in the morning and going, this is how you start a day, right? Like with the liter of vodka. A couple shots, get going. Oh, shots, nothing. Liters. Yeah. So you, you started heavy drinking right away. Mm-hmm. At a. the age of 37. AM yeah. drinking. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was like, well, I'm, I, I'm still a functional alcoholic. I haven't lost any jobs. I haven't lost any clients. I haven't, you know, and, and really I had this network of people around me that was, I wouldn't call them enablers. That's, that's kind of a harsh word for it, but they, in essence, they're enabling it because they're, they're covering for me. They're, they're Mm -hmm. that catch net that's like, okay, well, if Ryan really messes up, then we can cover for him. And it wasn't necessarily cover as much as just do Ryan's job. Right. Um, and so I had, a uh, including my wife that was, that was basically raising kids and running the business by herself. So how long do you think you spent, uh, drinking and chasing the alcoholic high? Um, I, I, it was almost exactly six or seven years. Ex- almost exactly. Almost exactly. <laughs> six or seven. Yeah. I don't know. It was, it was, it was about 36 to 42. And so, um, but it was, it was like all the things that came with being an alcoholic. And, and again, I, I would put on the face honesty. Like there was no honesty there. Everybody thought I was doing fine. Everybody, um, with the exception of people who really were connected with me, like my wife or like a, my mom and, and, and stuff that the real connections knew. Right. And I wasn't fooling them. I tried to, I tried to many times, like, well, we talk about it. Addiction is a family disease, or you know, anybody who's close to us gets wrapped up in the addiction process. And I know that enabler is is a harsh word, maybe for the people you're thinking yeah. of because you love and care about them. But I think it's it's okay to apply that to those situations to those people because it's not it's not a accusation or a put down. All of us, through our good intentions of trying to help someone, can end up enabling their addictive process, right? And so it sounds like you had people that loved and cared about you, whether it was at work or at home, who were tr- trying to help, yeah. right? And they're, you know, they're picking up after Ryan, yeah. so to speak, uh, everywhere you go. And uh, so in a way they were enabling and, and they were seeing the, the the real Ryan, whereas you were you had you were playing two face, right? Like yeah. the Batman villain. You're you know, one one face for the world and then one face for home. Yeah. I love that enabling because um nobody enables out of hate. Oh, it's you always know, I think it's always know, out of love. It, it, That's a good point, Casey. It, it's out of love. You know yeah. what I mean? No one's like, man, I hate that person. I'm gonna make sure they have all the drugs and alcohol they need. I know my personality. I'd be an amazing enabler. Yeah. I mean, because I just love to help people. Yeah. And, you know, and so I think it's good for the listeners to realize this is a family mm-hmm. disease. And if you're not the person using the substance, you're probably in that other camp. You're mm-hmm. probably the and it's great to realize that. Just like it's important for for the user to realize I have a problem. It's important for the family and friends to go, I have a problem too. Mm-hmm. I'm enabling this. So how does the run of alcohol come to an end? Uh, very abruptly. Um, what happened was I, I, I started to realize, you know, nobody Google, if, if you're a normie or somebody that can drink alcohol and put it down, it, nobody Googles, am I an alcoholic? 
You know, right. like nobody. I can tell you right now, I've Googled that and I was as young as 30 when I Googled it. Wow. Yeah. I mean, it was like, well, again, thinking that that was just the people on, on Four South, Pioneer Park. That's not me. Like, I, I'm not an alcoholic. Um, and people in my life, like my mom and my wife were, were like, yeah, you're an alcoholic. You need help. And I'm like, no, I'm not. Like, I'm I haven't lost anything. I'm doing fine. Like, you're fine be quiet. Like it, it, you're, you're provided for, let me do my thing. I'm an adult. Right. And I, re- I got really like, like really shovey pushy about people trying to encroach on my tool. Yeah. Don't right? tell me what to do or how to live my yeah. life. I've said those words exactly. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Do I tell you how to live your life? <laughs> and you don't tell me how to live mine. Yeah. I mean, I mean, as dumb as it is, that's what you do as an addict. Yeah. It's like, Hey, what do you care? This is my body. Extreme defensiveness. Oh yeah, 100%. extreme defensiveness, and then and to the point where like, if friends are reaching out and like, hey man, how can I help? Block, you know, I got, I don't want to deal with. I don't that. have time for you. Yeah, yep. and then and that's sad. It's sad. Um, so I what happened was, it it, it my good friend John John Red mm-hmm. um, had him on the podcast. Yeah, he's been on the podcast. He's he's an amazing individual. Um, I had seen him in his addiction. I had no idea what addiction was, but I knew he had it. And I, and I was, I'd help him in the car at times. And he was, he, you know, he was somebody that I was like, oh, he's got a problem. Well, one time he just, he's in my neighborhood. He lives a few houses away and he, he, he shows up and he's like, like talking to Casey, like talking to you, Dr. Matt, like it, like. I'm like, who is this guy? Like, this is not the same John Red I know. And he, and it was like, his eyes are white and he's laughing. And I'm like, what the, what is going on? I don't even know who this dude is, you know? And, and he, he, I remember thinking, I need to talk to him, you know? And so I, you're used to him in his addiction. That's how you knew him. Yeah. And then he shows up one day and it's like this new, improved, bright eyed person that he's you didn't recognize. Yeah. And I think he's full of it. You know, I think he's, I think he's fooling like everybody in the, in like the what world. drug is he on? Yeah. yeah but he's not fooling you. <laughs> yeah. And not going to fool me. And I, I, I really thought he was full of it. And so I, under false pretense, I take him to lunch for business purposes. And I, I tell him, Hey man, I think I'm an alcoholic. And, and his reaction stunned me because I was so used to the shame and the moral failure and the, like, you can't tell anybody about this. And he just like got this quirky little smile, like John, you know, exactly yeah. what I'm talking about. <laughs> and he got this, and he's like, okay, now what? <laughs> like, wait, <laughs> what? It didn't phase him at all. Bro, I just told you that like, I'm the most abject moral failure ever. And you're just like, cool. He's like, well, I mean, I want to get you help. How can I help? And I, I was amazed at the non-judgment. I was ah. amazed at the no shame. I was like blown away because like, I didn't have anybody in my life that that wasn't just an abject failure. And so for him to be like, cool, let me walk you through it. I'm like, okay, we can do this. Right. But then it got worse because then I was like, it seems too easy. Right. So, and then I push back or you put it off for a little bit because you're not really ready to make the commitment. Exactly. That willingness was there. You can go back and you can talk to your wife. You can talk to your family. Go, Hey, I'm talking to somebody. We've got some. So we call that contemplation, right? You're in that stage of contemplation, not ready to take any action. And when you contemplate, sometimes you 
you ebb and flow like, oh, this seems like a really good idea. Yes. But no. no, no, it's not a good idea. Well, you know what it became for me? It became a way to get mom, wife, kids off, your back. off my back. Mm-hmm. Talk to John. He knows what it's like. You know, talk to John. Um, and, you know, I'd show up to AA meetings and not be not be there. Just oh, yeah. just just putting my butt in the in the couch and and just like going through the motions. Yeah, I'm not I'm not them. Like I heard that guy's story. I'm not that bad, right? Yeah. So I'm obviously not an alcoholic. And then that then that's when I got separated from my wife and kids and and decided that like okay if they're gonna take my one tool away, I'm I'm gonna go be my man. Like I'd be the man that I want to be. And I had. I got to tell you, Dr. Matt, like I had this one therapist that was um, su- a super enabler who mm. was telling me that, hey, man, you, you just need to do whatever makes you happy. Oh, that therapist. Yeah, right? I know that therapist. And uh, <laughs> and and I'm like, yeah, I, that's what I thought. You get me. Yeah, that's what I thought, too. <laughs> <laughs> do what feels right. Do, yes. Do. Yeah. Simple. It wasn't do the next right thing. It was do whatever feels good for you. Therapist. Yeah. That's what I thought. Too. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad we're on the same page. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. yeah. yeah. Well, I, I'll Indulge continue to see my you. every want <laughs> yeah. all the time. That's that's how I'm going to fix this. Great. Yeah. yeah. So I, I and I came back and I told John, I said, well, John, me and my therapist have a plan. <laughs> <laughs> have you heard about it. people's plans before yeah yeah, yeah, okay. yeah that's great yeah, we, we got a plan we, we, we joke about it in aa like hey yeah. tell us about your plans <laughs> you know so i've got this plan john and he's and he looked at me and with the most sincere look he's like i gotta tell you man i'm not on board and i'm like well doesn't matter because you're not a you're not a licensed therapist and you're not in the plan you're not in the plan um and and then so i went and got an airbnb and I lived by myself for some time, you know, and was acting like I was 21 years old. Like I, I seriously, it was like I was in college again, but a different person, right? This time you weren't well, the designated driver. We call that emotional regression. So when, when we hit, especially when we're kind of midlife, late 30s to 50s in that, sometimes we hit this period where we feel like I don't really know who I am and what makes me happy. Mm-hmm. Maybe I've built a lot of great things, but I, I haven't built myself up. And so that can actually be an exciting turning point for a lot of people where they, they dig deep and they make changes that make their life what they want it to be and what it should be. And then sometimes we have an emotional regression where we're like, you know what would make me happy? If I could be 21 again mm-hmm. and I could act like a 21-year-old idiot and that I would have no responsibility and I can buy a Corvette and, you know, pierce my ears or whatever you do. <laughs> and and it's and you so you do that and and we have a fancy term for that. It's called midlife crisis. Midlife crisis. Yeah. So yeah, so I'm I'm the stereotypical midlife crisis. I'm going back and and doing whatever I want, drinking when I want, going and hanging out at bars whenever I want. Nobody to to tell me to keep me accountable, right? Nobody to keep me honest, and and it and I thought that that's what makes me happy, right? So I'm doing this this whole thing, this bachelor thing, uh, all the the while my kids are upset, like and and I could see it on their faces when I'd come back, like even though I was drunk ninety five ninety eight percent of the time, I was I could still see their faces, mm-hmm. and I could still see the hurt, and I could. I could not let that go. 
I could as as much as I wanted to just drink that away, that was undrinkable. Um, because I I knew at that point that that's that's actually what makes me happy is being with them. And this alcohol is causing me to not be with them. Um, so it was, uh, it went on uh, somewhat of a, a last hurrah down to Phoenix, feeling crappy the whole time about this, even the decision to leave there. Um, and, uh, came home and, uh, I saw my kids came straight to the house, saw my kids and this resolve on, uh, my wife's face was like, you're not welcome here. Like, I don't need you. Um, and I'm ne- I'd never seen that before. I, I, you know, she'd been so long of just like, it will work it out. We'll, we'll figure it out. And now it was like, now we're done. We're done. And then I, I'd never been hit with that before. And so I immediately texted John and I said, man, I think, I think I need rehab. And John found me a place like the next day. Um, and he asked me before I left to, to pray about it. And, uh, I have to tell you this part of the story because it's important because i had had such a bad relationship with God ever since that, like towards the Oxycontin addiction that I, I'd lost connection with my higher power. Like God was it, it seemed stupid to me. Like I, I got to the point where I'm smarter than, than God. Right. Um, and plus I got like the, you know, I know this is a family broadcast is the F it alls. You know, oh, like yeah. a, no, the, yeah. I just, I, I, I just felt like I had gone so far down so much shame, so, so much like sin in my life that I can't ever get back. Like, so might as well enjoy the ride. Right. Like grateful dead. It's a hopelessness. Yeah, and I, and it was this hopelessness that I I remember feeling so intensely. And he goes, "Why don't you pray about whether or not you need to go to rehab?" And I I was resentful towards John for that. I was like, "You don't know me. Like I've done so much in in my addiction that you you think I can talk to God? Like you think that He cares about me?" And I remember waking up the next day. I did what he said, and I had this real like this most intense feeling of rehabs where I need to be and that everything with the company, with the kids, with everything was going to be okay. Um, because I was in my head about losing clients, you know, Casey, I, I, I had built up this, this, um, company and I was just like, I have to call each and every one of them and tell them I'm going to be gone for at least 30 days. Mm. Just finish me now, you know, but I did it because John said, if you do it, you'll be surprised. And you know, I didn't lose one client over that. Everyone that I was honest with and said, hey, I've got a problem and I need some help. They said, go take care of you and your family and we'll be here in 30 days or whatever time you need. We're not going anywhere. That's impressive. That's huge. Never in my wildest dreams did I think anybody would say that. And let alone like this whole book of business of clients 
you know. So now it's not just your friend John, but all these clients are responding in a supportive, non-judgmental way. Yeah, and and I, I'd been this perfectionist all my life, and now I'm like telling them that no, this guy that you thought you knew is actually like an alcoholic. I don't think you heard me. Like no, because they can deal with honesty. People can handle honesty, you know. And when we give people a chance to um, to connect, a chance to empathize, and and and. I I really feel like there's like the spiritual connection that is like, go get them, you know, like, yeah, we're here for you. So now your friends, family and clients are enabling you with love. Yeah. To get the help that you need. Yeah. And you go in and you do 30 days. Yeah. You come back out. I, I didn't want it to be that long. I wanted, I wanted to be the first, you know, I'm going to do... I'm going to do 30 days in 10 days. <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah, I wanted to get it done, you know? Yeah. But it was... Set a record. Yeah. It, but, um, you know, with John being associated with that particular rehab, he's like, no, I don't I don't want you leaving here until you do a fourth and fifth step. And for those of you that don't know, that's kind of getting rid of the garbage, right? Yeah. And all those things that that I'm like, well, I've gone down the path so far that I'm I'm no good anymore. I'm not worthy. I'm not... I, nobody wants me. Like God took care of that, you know. And and it's the most amazing feeling when I got done with my fifth step. I was like, I can breathe again. You know, I I have this new life and felt like I, I was I was completely born again and felt like I've got something to give back now. So how long have you been sober? I've been sober for a year and almost four months. Congratulations! Thank you. Like we've had a lot of people on the podcast, service is a, an important part to the recovery. You're embarking on a new adventure. Yeah. Tell me about that. Well, I, I think that the that um, it's important to know that I, I still go to my local AA meetings. You know, I still, I still work with sponsees. But we had this opportunity, John and I, to really make a difference. We've... The way that this came about, I wish I had another hour to tell you about this, but the way that this whole place came about in Mountain Green, Morgan, Utah, um, is nothing less than a miracle in so many ways. I mean, we've gone and journaled it down. John's got it on his phone right now. But essentially, all these things lined up, and we walked into this beautiful home and said, people can heal here. And it's just this beautiful place up in Mountain Green. And um, I think that you know, you look at how John Red does recovery. Yeah. And I and I, I'm not John Red, but I mimic that, you know, and I mimic people like Brian Heaton and, and the people in my lives that are doing recovery the right way, Casey Scott. I look at them and go, Hey, I'd like that that about them and I, I want other people to have that. So when I talk to sponsees and when I talk to people that are around addiction that's what I want to be. I want to be that resource for them to help them out whatever way I can. Now, the Recovery Center is not open yet. And when it does open up, we'll have you and John back on the podcast. I appreciate that. I've well, got, I've I'm got, proud. Yeah. I, I'm from Morgan. Yeah. I, I'm proud to know that, that, that you guys have chosen that spot. Mountain Green is honestly one of the most beautiful places on the earth. Well, that's what, that was interesting because you said to him, why did you choose that? Yeah, and before goes, the show. He goes, what a beautiful place to heal. Yeah. And I remember that. I mean, that just hit me in the heart. I was like, yeah. that is. It, 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 well, I know exactly where it is and I can, I can picture in my mind exact, the exact view. 
And it is it is a peaceful, beautiful valley, and, and the spot you guys have chosen is is going to be a wonderful place for healing. So I'm I'm excited that you guys are there. Yeah, we really feel like God picked it for us. We were just we were just you know John uses the thing he says these two idiots that are just coloring by numbers. God tells us which numbers next, and we go do that. You know, it's a pretty good formula. Yeah, yeah. and and there is something to be said about being in in the the flow of what whatever God has in, intended for our lives. And, and that's what we just try to do now. So I've got to ask, how's the family? They're good. They're really good. Um, my, it's funny. Cause like my kids, um, who have had a hard time with dad being on podcasts and, and stuff like that. Um, they're realizing that like when they give their friends and, and family and Facebook associates a chance to hear about what's going on, people are amazing like i first podcast i did i was so in my head about oh i'm gonna share my story i'm gonna share my story and somebody's gonna figure it out right and be like oh you know that that's not acceptable but everybody comes back and says me too or um i've got a friend or wow that's a powerful story you know and so it's it's like god gives us this like boost of energy to like keep doing that you know keep doing that and I think with with my family now, they're they're far enough separated from it that they that they can laugh about the the idiot the dad used to be because I I man just my like, kids still talk about the time I went to church camp because that's what they called rehab <laughs> church camp yeah you know what I mean because it sounded a lot cooler than saying my dad went to rehab yeah, church like, camp. my dad went to church camp yeah that's and and that's you know so long ago uh, at least a year and three months ago that. They are, they're like laughing about it now. We can have th- those conversations that don't hurt so bad. And mm-hmm. we were able to make new memories, right? Yeah, that's great. Making new memories is so important because um, a lot of times I don't like the word trigger, but uh, when you go into a place that you've had a bad experience before and you, yeah. Las Vegas, um, you know, Lake Powell, all these other places that we've had bad experiences at, we can go in there and make new memories. All of a sudden, that's a safe place for us, you know, Can and dad's still it. sober. Yeah. I love it. Uh, I love that too. And I love the fact uh, that you've been able to uh, break down sort of the stigma of addiction in an intergenerational way, meaning you've taught your kids something that is so valuable for them to learn. Because when we were growing up and you sh- shared this in your story, you didn't really know anything about addiction or substance abuse. So when people were struggling with it, you you had your, you know, stigma based, you know, thoughts about it, which which didn't really help serve you when you were faced with your own addiction. And so now your kids, Casey's kids, so many people are growing up now with an education about it uh, that that's very, very helpful. I, I think that that generationally things are changing in an exciting way. I do too. I've, I've noticed it over the, the past few years where, um, you know, when you look at high school till today, it's completely different. Yeah. And I, and, and it's, it's got a lot of room to go, right? Oh, sure. Morgan County has got a lot of room to go. We're, we're, we're pretty close to perfect in Morgan, <laughs> but we have had a few Morganites on the show, haven't we? But, yeah. but I will say it's, it's going in the right direction. I yeah. think so too. Well, I thank you very much for stopping by and sharing your story. Uh, it really made me happy. I mean, I, we laughed. We had a good time. Ryan's got a nice, positive energy. And yeah. What I love about guys like Ryan and John and people like that that are out there giving back in the community, 
I, I almost want to go to the rehab, take 30 days. I don't, I'm not an alcoholic, but it would be great to just I tell people feel, that, you know, soak up their energy and do some positive good stuff for yourself. I tell people all the time, if you can get 30 to 45 days in a rehab without an addiction, take it. Do it. Uh, because it's amazing. Yeah, they, I agree. You know, they I, take you to the workout. They give you food. But it's so you positive. You see a therapist. Yeah. And, and yeah. I think that might be my vacation. Some of the meetings get a little intense, but yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? That's good, though, too. That's yeah, good, too. you know what I mean? And, and you keep it real. The thing I love about you most is your honesty um you know i really do and honesty for me is a superpower uh and i love the fact that you own it and i think you're doing wonderful things and when that uh rehab center gets up and running you and john both have an open invitation to come back and talk about all the wonderful things that you're going to do out of there we we really feel like we're on god's errand and i and i mean that sincerely and when you guys have an opening ceremony, let us know because for sure that's my hometown. I'd love to come support you. Guys. For sure, you're you're the first invite. Yeah. All right. Thank you for stopping by and listening to the podcast today. It is Project Recovery, and in case you forgot, Project Recovery is what? It's a KSL podcast. of this program are for informational purposes only. The program is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician, licensed therapist, or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition. Never disregard professional medical advice or delay in seeking it because of something you've heard on this program. KSL does not recommend or endorse any specific tests, physicians, products, procedures, opinions, or other information that may be mentioned on the program. Reliance on any information provided on the program is solely at your own risk.